And we're live, live. Well, well good afternoon. Really <laughs> good afternoon, to everyone, and welcome to another episode of Overtime, which is our weekly podcast where we get to do a deeper dive into the weekend message. So glad that you're joining us today. It's not quite live uh, today. We had to pre-record, and that's kind of my fault. I had to be at court um, for foster care. Oh, that yeah, sounded you, yeah, that yeah. sounded intense. Like yeah. I have to be at court for foster care. Or that felony. So yeah, that that thing that we just don't want to tell you about. No. Uh, <laughs> So we had to pre-record this one. So thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you get a lot out of this. Um, we do want to highlight this coming weekend. This weekend on December 5th, we are doing our Merry Little Christmas Party here at the church parking lot. Trying to be as socially distant as possible. Trying to kind of be aware that we're in a, a heightened COVID season. So we have got kind of socially distant, distant events. We've got things that if you want to participate, you can completely remain in your car. Trying to be as responsible as possible with that. So what we want to do is kind of point you to our Thursday night, which I want to make sure that I get the date right for that. So our Thursday night December 3rd, 8 p.m. vision um, discussion. We are going to be kind of covering all of the bases for that event. So again, the events on the 5th, but on Thursday at eight o'clock on December 3rd, we wanna point you to that for a place of all the information of what you can get. We're gonna have weather updates. We're gonna have COVID updates. It's gonna kind of be all covered in that, um, that weekly video. So I would encourage you to tune in on December 3rd for the December 5th event. Um, we think it'll be an awesome time. We hope that you and friends or family can be a part of that. So Yeah, yeah. So let's do something fun for the Christmas season and be safe and appropriate in those things. Now, yeah. just was looking at the weather. Looks like it's raining Saturday right now. Okay. We do have a rain date for Sunday, but right. right now the plan is still Saturday, December 5th. Tune in Thursday night, and we'll yeah. tell you how to get all the latest information about that, what you should do, how you can participate in food drive, all those things on yeah. Thursday night. That'll be looking forward to hanging out with you all yeah starting this christmas season and if you do have questions feel free to contact us at the church info at cllcfamily.church um go to our website you can call us 610-869-2140 you can even text us so whatever is easiest if you've got questions what is that staples we've got answers or maybe that was a i don't know it doesn't matter so is that still a place i don't know i think so because that's where everybody buys their office supplies now staples yeah amazon no it's amazon anyway let's dump jump into the weekend message so this week we were That's on funny. god you with said us. staples if you're listening to this <laughs> he's still like, stuck on, staples. on your on your computer and you don't have headphones in your computer probably is going to hear the word staples That's true. and then you're going to see advertisements that's my favorite way to christmas shop i yeah. just speak it out loud yeah. in my house yeah oh, yeah <laughs> makes sense makes perfect sense and then you start seeing the ads for it that's yeah. right yeah. that's right so uh that wasn't my joke i i heard that somewhere but let's jump into week two of god with that's us because it wasn't that funny <laughs> this is just how we do things guys so welcome to the party okay sorry <laughs> So uh, we were talking about the uh, the paralyzed man that the poor friends brought to Jesus. So that was kind of the text that we were looking at in Luke chapter 5. Do you want to kind of give us a review of what we talked about? Oh, we weekend? talked about a lot. Uh, uh, man, good job hanging in there because you're getting these two sermons in one each week as we go through six or seven verses. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we actually started with uh, verses 15 and 16 in Luke chapter 5, which is where uh, Jesus withdraws. And so there's just some really important stuff there yeah. i'm doing all sorts of work in my own life about healthy boundaries when to say no how to do that and i wrestle with that of when is it selfless versus when is it selfish and all those kind of things and so we see that jesus responds first he poured himself out in ministry he went and healed the leper he did all sorts of crazy things he uh just uh, for us the week before days before probably for jesus and we're gonna see over and over again he's gonna pour himself out in ministry and then he's going to rest and recharge, right? Pour himself out ministry, rest and recharge. And the place that he rests and recharges is in the wilderness, desolate places, not where he can uh, get these fake, you know, adrenaline rushes or boost of serotonin or, or whatever it is. It's real, genuine recharge from his father, our, our mm -hmm. father, the God of the universe, the one who... Uh, owns all the energy in the world and sustains the sun and everything else, right? So he's going to go do that in preparation for another round of pouring himself out ministry. And where we find him is in Capernaum. 
and someone's little bitty 400 square foot home and it is crowded and the reason it's crowded is because a bunch of religious people have showed up from all over the uh the nation of israel they've showed up there uh more than likely to fact check and um uh correct jesus on things that they think he might say wrong and he's going to say some stuff that they're going to think is wrong but one of the greatest thing he does is he's going to provide healing and forgiveness of sins to a guy who, according to the scriptures, isn't even asking for it. So it is crazy what Jesus does there. And so what we're going to look at, what we did look at, was this idea that uh, we get to play a real active role in bringing people to Jesus, right? At our church, we say we want to make it simple for people to connect to Jesus and one another as a result of this paralyzed man being connected to a group of friends who loved him so much that they were willing to do whatever it takes, short of sin, maybe even with some sin, uh, to bring uh, their friend to Jesus. And so what we saw was this man, these four men carry their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They get to the house and they're pretty disappointed because they can't get in. And you would think, and this is this is pretty normal and common courtesy, and if I could have spent more time on it, I would have. Um, whenever you see someone, like even if you're like on the shuttles or like the trains at the airports, if you see someone come like on crutches or anything else, usually if you're sitting down, you stand up. Or if it's an elderly person, you sit you're sitting down, you stand up, and you give them a seat. And so this guy, they're bringing a paralyzed man, and you would think common courtesy would go, ooh, let's let this guy in. This is the type of person that needs to get to Jesus. But nope, that's not what happens because the fact checker, fact checkers and live bloggers are standing in the way. And so what Jesus, what Luke highlights is there's a, a good sect of people, religious people there. They're scribes and Pharisee scribes, these big teachers of the law, Pharisees, they're posse. They're all there listening to Jesus, probably trying to catch him up in something so that they can disprove that he is a rabbi, a teacher. But instead what happens is they see a crazy miracle. Jesus first forgives sins and then calls them out in their head of what they're thinking. So amazing that he does that. So first miracle, forgive sins. Second miracle, read people's minds. Third miracle, the one to confirm the first two miracles is that he then tells the man to stand up and walk. And so the big idea, the big, 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 idea is we get to actually participate in bringing people to Jesus and that I believe is what he wants for us and in this Christmas season I told you two weeks ago that nobody typically asks what does the birthday boy want for his birthday Jesus the birthday boy and I'd say first and foremost he wants your presence he wants you to bring yourself to him right sit at his feet worship him but not only does he want your presence he also wants your partnership and we see that in the story of him calling himself the son of man presenting himself as a a human who does all things right and makes all things right and then invites us in to participate in that kingdom work such as carrying a mat that brings your paralytic friend to jesus and so we just see this this beginning of of a new movement started with jesus recruiting new followers inviting new people into it and you see the partnership happen with people starting to participate in the kingdom and so that's what we're going to look at for the next several weeks as we sort through uh what jesus does when he interacts with humans yeah so there's a lot yeah. there that i yeah. hope to kind of dive into to um try and ask i feel like i wrote a bunch of questions as always we encourage you to send and to write in any questions that you might have regarding the message or maybe it's not even directly connected to the message just a question that you have we always love when our listeners yeah, yeah. help us Absolutely. kind of produce what this looks like um so always feel free to email us over time at clcfamily.church or again you can text us 610-869-2140 Pretty much just get in contact with us. Or typically, you if you want to join us on Tuesdays, right. you can log in to clcfamily.online.church and participate with us that way. This right. is the, the one exception in that since we're pre-recording that. So if you're there yeah. asking questions, we're not going to see them today. Sorry. But yeah, feel free to ask them anyway. We'll get to them and maybe if we need some yeah. time next week, we'll cover some of those as well yeah so as we yeah. kind of jump back into like i said there's a lot that i want to try and cover there yes yeah, like three um, sermons in one yeah so. so i guess starting at the beginning so as you kind of brought back out the timeline so the timeline was significant in the first week because you were talking about kind of jumping back and forth yeah. and then you brought out the timeline again and kind of did the same thing where you're kind of pointing back but pointing forward oh yeah and kind of jumping around a bit but i thought one of the things that you said that was really interesting was that I think part of the reason why we're doing a series um, is that we we want to, you want everybody to understand that this was I think in your words you said this is not a snapshot of Jesus just being with us it's not just a picture of 
Christ coming, yeah. being born, and Jesus is with us. But this was the plan. Yeah. This is kind of, this changes everything. Yeah. Everything in the past and everything in the future changes. And uh, I don't know if you use this word, but I would say hinges on Christ coming. Is that accurate? Yeah, so it's not, uh, you know, you, Jesus shows up and changes uh, what's going on there. And then, uh, yeah. the, you know, the future. It's But this is more of, a, if you imagine, like a massive rock that falls into a tiny pond. And the ripple effects go in every direction, right? Yeah. What what's happening here? And this is so interesting because it says the power of the Spirit was on him. That word is dunamis, like, and I'm sure okay. you probably heard this in sermons. Dunamis is the Greek word there, and it literally is the word we get for dynamite. Yeah. So when you imagine this big explosion that has effects everywhere it goes, right? Like, it it's like that kind of power, like a mushroom cloud of falling down and mm. bursting with the Spirit and with Jesus's uh, power and healing and hope going in all directions. And so the reason we want to look at the timeline is we want to see that what God is doing is he is setting everything right, everything right in the future and everything right in the past. And so what Jesus does is the culmination of all the promises of the Old Testament. So when Abraham was making sacrifices, when Moses was offering sacrifices, when we see it with Joshua and, you know, all the nations, what they were doing is they were saying that there one day will be a savior who will cover what we've done, what we need, and make things right and whole again. So yeah. everything in the Old Testament, all eternity past, right? Everything in that is looking forward to the moment that all this is going to get resolved. And so for these guys in this moment, in, in Luke chapter 5, they are literally kind of the precipice that's going to change and affect everything in it. Every direction. That's why we're going to keep going back and going, here's the big idea of the whole series. Jesus steps into our timeline to invite us into his timeline, the eternal one, right? The one with no tears, no pain, no sorrow that lasts forever, right? So we're going to keep seeing this and looking at this. So what's happening in Luke chapter 5 to this paralyzed man and his friends and what these religious scholars are witnessing is actually not just important to them, but important to us and important to Abraham and important to Daniel. So we're going to keep seeing how what happens there is affecting that. And the reason we know that it, it, it it's this way is Jesus is going to continually throughout his time reference Old Testament scriptures, reference things in the past, and then help qualify him as a, per, the fulfillment of all those promises in the past. So we're going to see, and I'm sure we'll get to it, when Jesus, for the first time in, in these scriptures, refers to himself as the Son of Man, it's very specific to a plan that him and his Father, the God of the universe, had for his people for all for all eternity, right? And so he's going to reference that, pointing to a promise and a, a vision that Daniel had some 600 years earlier. Yeah. So as we're looking at the text, one of the things that you pointed out, and this was kind of from the previous week um i don't want to say it was the leftovers from yeah. last week but verse 15 um i've never made this connection like i'd never seen it before like so jesus heals this um this leper yeah. and then all of a sudden these people start coming so 15 says news about him spread all the more and crowds of people came near to be healed of their sickness and then verse 16 just says but jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed but the but's important yeah, yeah and i never made that connection of going like, it doesn't say that Jesus healed them. He could have, he might not have, like, but. He left them alone. Luke made a point to say, but Jesus often withdrew. Like, yeah. so I've never made that connection. I feel like as I've read that before in the past, it's always like, okay, Jesus spent time with God. Yeah. That's Yeah, a good and he thing. could have just gone, <laughs> yeah. right? Just and done. Get yeah. out of here. And, okay, you're all good. But it, it doesn't show that he healed any of them. He actually yeah. moved on, right? And you go, oh, man, that's not yeah. what we expect. Of Jesus, and again, the whole goal of the gospel is that we would be with Him forever and partner with Him forever. Yeah. This is not about a moment in time where people need their bunions mm. saw cleared up, right? This isn't that Jesus needs to fix the sinus infections, yeah. right? And so, this is not that I don't want to make light of people's pain and sorrow, but this is a small snapshot of life that, and what Jesus is doing, He's coming to set all things right for all eternity. So. There are times that people were coming and waiting in faith, and Jesus did not heal them. That doesn't mean he didn't love them. He just, yeah. what we're going to see, that's why the, the next story is so important. So Luke goes, but 
he goes and withdraws the wilderness to pray. So there's a lot, lots we can learn about boundary setting, about obeying Jesus. We're not responsible for the pain our obedience causes other people. There is some pain for some people in line, right? But what we're going to see is that Jesus actually came to, to set a different thing right than the brokenness of our body, right? So when we see this guy get lowered down, Jesus is going to show us what his real mission is. He says your sins are forgiven, meaning all the stuff that you forfeited in your own behavior, all that rights that you had in the kingdom that were forfeited, I am going to give those back to you. That's what Jesus came to do, which was also available for all the people in line. The more significant thing. So important to understand. In fact, I got a text from a friend this week who is talking about the significance of this passage and significant passage but uh and they were a family that was praying for healing and ended up losing the family member but the family member loved jesus right and so there was real healing perfect healing but it's just not in this timeline it's in god's timeline and so you're seeing this play out that not every single miracle is that god heals the person of cancer the miracle that god offers to every single person is that he will forgive them of their sins cleanse them of all unrighteousness and invite them into his timeline that's the significant part here and so yep people in line really really sad but luke's gonna go hey hey jesus has actually came to he had a real mission it was to seek and save that which was lost not that which was um impaired mm -hmm. uh, you know not that that was just what that which was sick. He came to seek and save people who had the wrong map, the wrong understanding, were going the wrong direction on the wrong timeline. That's what he came to do. So it's important that we understand Jesus's mission as we view what we ask him to do here on this earth. Yeah, I do feel like as you were talking just now, I had a question like, so obviously we live in our timeline, right? Like in our perspective of yeah. what we see, how do we, and if we understand that we know that God's got a different timeline, how do we begin to change our perspective? Because obviously this is all that we know, right? Like we yeah. live in the here, we live in the now, we live in the reality of, of cancer and sickness yeah. and COVID. And how do we begin to change our perspective? Yeah, so we already know people that do well on this timeline Yeah, don't live in the here and now, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's as simple as uh, circumcision, right? Or like, please explain. What that. I mean by that is... Uh, for hygiene's sake, and so weird that like we think about even the, the mark and the, the picture of the covenant. But like yeah. we made the decision to have our child circumcised, right? Be more for hygiene than anything right. else. Uh, just there's some things that can happen otherwise. And so what that means is my one of the first acts that I get to do as a father is watch my son and be put in miserable pain, yeah. right? We made the decision. Like, it wasn't like, oh, they're babies, they don't feel it. No, they feel it. Yeah. They might not remember it later, but they feel it, right? And yeah. so, but that's a, that was a, a, a cognitive, clear decision that Julie and I made, right? We did that, and yeah. we chose to put our child in pain, right? You, you The same thing if you have chosen to give, uh, get your kids vaccined, vac vaccinations or shots, right? Yeah. You literally sat beside them when they pulled out the big needle and stabbed. Your child, your child had the big alligator That's not tears. how they generally yeah, do shots. But. Yeah, big alligator tears coming down. And they're looking at you like, why are you allowing this to happen? And yeah. we're choosing to do that. Why? Because we're not thinking about that one moment. Right. We're looking down the timeline. And now, we're only thinking you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe 60, 70 years. But we're thinking about the timeline, right? So much of delaying gratification of not putting that on the credit card is you're not thinking about the here and now. You're thinking about the timeline. So, yeah. so much in our life is already thinking about how this affects the future, right? Andy Stanley says it this way. In view of your past experiences, present circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams, you should ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? It's one of his books. You don't read it now. I just told it to you. But it's about your past experiences, present circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams. So all that is thinking about the timeline, looking at right. the past. How did this affect me in the past? Looking at the present. Oh, what is it right now? And then think about your future hopes and dreams. So when we make wise decisions, we're already thinking about the timeline. So all I'm challenging us to do is stop thinking in the birth yeah. to death timeline. And let's look a little bit further, yeah. right? And a little bit further into it. So that's what people should do. Anyway, now, the, the people that I know who have the most joy, the most hope, even in the worst circumstances, and boy, as a pastor, just gotten the privilege and i mean that sincerely to sit with people who have really bad circumstances really bad circumstances and um, i mean i've had to do funerals for 12 year old or 13 year old kids who drowned right mm -hmm. you know and 
I'm going to do funerals of people who have been murdered. And the only hope that they have in that, that's Christians, praise God, all the, those funerals for all believers in Jesus, yeah. right? Is that we're at least able to look past the birth to death timeline and look into eternity. And so what happens is if we can start thinking in light of eternity, the decisions we make, what we do really does change things. The way that I would describe it is like when you walk into a hotel room and you don't like the decor, you don't rip down everything and right. go buy new paintings, get a new bed, and move right. it all right. in there, right? Because you're just a very temporary resident of that hotel room. So what I hope happens for us is we start viewing everything like we're living in a hotel room, going, why we spend all this time right. and energy, you know, doing the redecorating when they're not that you shouldn't enjoy your life, have a nice house, none of those things. This is a, a, a poverty gospel talk. But there is something about starting to reposition your mind to think about how this affects eternity, yeah. right? And if eternity is real, which if there's a God, he's eternal. And if, right, for here, there's got to be something that created us. And so that God's eternal. And we understand the reason he created us was to be with us. How long do you think he wants to be with us? It can't be 20 years. It can't be 50 years. It's got to be eternal. And so therefore, when we start thinking that way, it really does change our perspective of yeah. how we view life. And I know I'm going on and on about this. Uh, someone, maybe Tim Keller, talks about, it's like it's like if you're a millionaire and you lose $10, hmm. you're not going to, like, really, or a billionaire, that you're really going to try to find that $10. Yeah. It's like, ah, not a big deal. Now, if you have $20 to your name and all of it is in this moment, then that $10 is really, really significant. So if we have a infinite number of years, then you have a bad day. Hmm. You know, in light of eternity, we view it differently than if we think everything is about the pleasure and the hope yeah. of just our birth to death timeline. One of the things that you had said before that I found useful, like it was just a way, I feel like it's the same thing of yeah. what you're saying, but it just worded it differently yeah. and it helped. And it doesn't help for every situation. Yeah. Is I've heard you say, you know, ask yourself the question, is it, how is this going to impact 100 years from now? Yeah. yeah. Like that, that's one of the ways that it's, it helps you kind of just change perspective a little bit. Again, that's not for yeah. every situation. Yeah, does this, I, does this decision yeah. change things 100 years from now? Well, if it's about shepherding your kid's heart, who's going to have children, who's going to have children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it does. If it's about your next trinket, yeah, that phone, that car, everything in your possession, a hundred years from now, will be in the dirt. Yeah, right. It's not Just gonna matter. Or maybe if it's metal, it'll be you know recycled and it'll be in a beam somewhere. So as so we kind of jump we're, into we're Pennsylvanians. <laughs> so as we jump into verse seventeen, kind of specifically uh, the nine verses, yeah, nine verses that we were kind of talking <laughs> about. That was a lot this one. week. Um, so what we see is that uh, one day Jesus is teaching, kind of passing over, jumping over the fact Jesus is Capernaum. This is kind of his hometown, um, or at least his home base, home base. That's good, yeah. if you say. Um, and so there's teachings. Um, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. You had talked about kind of a hierarchy of scribes. Yeah, yeah. And then Pharisees and kind of scribes had followers, which were made up of Pharisees. Could you maybe read? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the Pharisees are going to have a big movement. Uh, over you know this this time period and it's gonna be this huge transition during even Jesus's life but kind of leading up to this where Pharisees are gonna be a, play a big part in uh, being kind of the, the militant arm yeah of Judaism they're the ones keeping up with all the stuff making sure people behave do the things that they think they should do perform how they should but that militant soldier like s worldview religious experience is going to come from the teachers who teach them. So you got you got the Pharisees, which are the working class people. They're basically like the people in a congregation, right? They're that they're not professional Jews. They are they have other jobs and they follow a professional Jew who is the scribe. And so this would be like a little traveling uh, a church group and with a leader who they were fully devoted to, and that would be the scribe. These are professional Jews there. Yeah, you could right. almost call Jesus a scribe, like in the sense that he had disciples, right? Like That's right. That and picture. so yeah, you got rabbi, rabbis follow. And so, yeah, so it just was a specific group of religious yeah. leaders, scribe who, I mean, they had, you know, they, they kind of all aligned and, you know, the, the big things, but they kind of had their own yoke or whatever yeah. it is, a way by which they wanted people to live. And so we see teachers and so there are teachers could, not necessarily be a scribe. The reason we would call these scribes because what it says later in the same text. And so, yeah, that's what we have here. We have basically a religious 
professional Jew who is going to travel to Capernaum and bring his posse with him for the field trip so that they can hear this stuff and debrief it. Now, what we see is they're actually hearing it and debriefing it in real time. And that's what Jesus is going to call out. So yeah, so scribe, every scribe has a group handful of Pharisees with them. So when we see these people there taking up all the space, they're religious people, you know, probably fact-checking Jesus. Do we, do we have any idea how many? Because it says uh, the Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Like, is that a lot? Are we talking like 20 people? See, that's, we... what, that's where it's hard to, to get. Uh, I mean, because they're small homes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know the rule of thumb so is. So 10 people in the, in a 400 well, square foot like, house. Like, and, and like even occupancy. You mm-hmm. you can you're supposed to give like one person ten square feet, right? Okay. So let's say it's four or five hundred square feet. That's forty or fifty people, right? Yeah. So, it, but you can imagine in a packed place, that's probably double. Yeah. So, guessing probably a hundred people or more crowded wow. in this space and overflowing to the outside of it, right? Yeah. So, um, I've been in some events like that where, in fact, it was a, a, a church event. Uh, Matt Chandler was speaking at this little small. Uh, kind of breakout session that was right after he had found out he had cancer and mm. had the seizure and stuff. So it would have been a February after November, all this stuff happened. So he's still bald headed. And, and there are a lot of people that wanted to hear what he had to say. And I can remember I was actually sitting out in the hallway, mm. just and I can barely hear it. Right. And so it's just overflowing in every direction. And I don't know, some of you, I think, probably have some experience like that, even at NLPC, as, a, as yeah. our church was growing, going, okay, there's no space there. Let's go sit out in the, the vestibule mm-hmm. or whatever it is and try to hear it in the hallway. And so. It, it was obviously spilling out in all the ways to the point where the, the folks couldn't even get to a, a place where they could right. see Jesus, acknowledge right. Jesus, anything else. So, so yeah, I, I, 100 people, 150. Okay. Knows, yeah. okay. So I, I did think that it was interesting, kind of that point that you already made, um, that these four friends that are bringing their, you know, their, their friend that needs salvation, that yeah. needs kind of healing and restoration, yeah. they are hindered by what is the Christian group right and i I just think um this is one of those kind of side you know bonus messages for me it was convicting of going man i don't want to hinder and i feel like a lot of times what happens is within church it's like good well-meaning well-intended people can hinder what god wants to do and uh, i guess i would just like to hear any thoughts any additional thoughts that you had from that because here's these religious folks who are blocking and or impeding this man who needs a touch from God to see him. Yeah. So, and what's interesting is some of them may be very pure intentioned. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. very will be lots of people with very pure intentions and all this. Like, for example, you know, they could believe, well, I should sit in here because I'm actually going to listen and pay attention and take right. notes. Right. These other people, they don't care. Right. Like, right. so those things. And so typically what you see happen in churches a lot of times is a lot of what happens is, not in good faith, right? So we would find something that we have found really meaningful for right. our spiritual right. journey, like uh, praying, fasting, journaling, right? And so, oh, this is really helpful right. for my spiritual growth. But then to define it as this now is the solution for everyone's spiritual growth. So if I don't drink that, I don't say that, I don't do that, and I mm-hmm. read this, and it's really helpful, and I've really grown in it. Now I need that to be applied to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So my spiritual practices should become everybody else's spiritual practice. So what's good for you is good for you. But when you then want to apply it to other people, that's actually what legalism is. And the dilemma with that is while you have found it helpful and understand why it's helpful for you and your spiritual growth, still pointing to Jesus, if people haven't had that kind of experience with Jesus, then what we're doing is we're now creating a bunch of rules and laws that actually stand in the way of actually meeting Jesus. So what was what helpful for you becomes hindrance for someone else. So it just becomes an obstacle. Like for many people, it's I find it's helpful for my family to pause on a Sunday, dress up, honor God by giving him our best and showing up at church. Well, what if you don't have your very best? For the, the homeless who then would feel uncomfortable in a church where everybody's dressed, not that you shouldn't dress up nicely, but the expectation that people should wear certain clothes now is going to hinder someone else's issues. Now, by the way, uh, we see that in the scriptures. Jesus' brother, who probably is the most rigid of all the disciples, or all the first followers and you know, apostles in the first century church, 
as a very devout Jew turned Christian, right? He's going to tell you that faith without works is dead. He's going to tell you to get some stuff done. But he's also going to really chastise and call out leaders for their um, commitment to and special favors yeah. that they show people who are wealthy, well-dressed, religious, right? So there is some there is some precedence for that even in the scriptures going, hey, we got to we got to guard ourselves from that. And so we just have to be really aware that what's helpful for our spiritual journey and growth might actually become a hindrance yeah. for someone else. Like, for example, let me just give you an example. Uh, uh, this isn't to be offensive, and I'm not trying to classify a group of people in any way. Like, personally, my personal opinion, just just between us, right, is if it were up to me, we would have just a piano or just a guitar and a singer and probably sing only really old hymns. Right, because that's what I love. My dad was a music minister. That's what I have such a deep affection, and I have great memories from these songs that are deep and rich in faith. Right, and yet you imagine someone showing up for the very first time and experience like having to listen to a song where they don't even know the vocabulary. Then all of a sudden, that's not helping them get to the feet of Jesus. There, so we have to. Not that we shouldn't do old hymns. I think they're. Again, please don't email me about that. That's not what this talk is about. But there are certain things that we have to go, while it's really beneficial to us, is it actually going to help people who are far from God come to faith in Jesus? Then, then, then the other piece is, is it going to help mobilize them to go do the work of ministry? So you got yeah. two different pieces. How do we help them come to Jesus that a lot of us can get in the way of? And But then how do we help release them to do it. One of the big things that I learned growing up, which was just wrong, was when you become a Christian, you ha- get your Christian friends, you burn your old CDs, and you get your new holy huddle. Which is interesting because now all of a sudden we just had brought someone, just Jesus brought someone to faith. We helped them move the obstacles for her to see them, and they have a whole sphere of influence right. that we've just told them, nope, you can't do that. Come be in the religious crowd. Come be with right. us. And we just... Missed a whole opportunity for the one whose fate just was, you know, inflamed to go back to that group of people, which you're going to see throughout the scriptures, and share that story. And so one of the places we just got it wrong is, no, 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 you got to stay away from those people because they're bad. They'll they'll tempt you and you got to, you know, flee all sense of unrighteousness. And one of the things about the, the scribes, actually in my notes, I think get to it, is they actually believed in this like third degree of separation. Okay. Right, and we're going to see this this week. Really, really cool, where Jesus interacts with sinners, tax collectors in their home for a meal. Not only did they believe you shouldn't interact with sinful people, they believed that you could get dirty by interacting with a person who interacted with sinful people. Okay. So there is this separation that not only do I not hang out with, do I not hang out with sinful people, sinful people that sin different than I do. Right, I don't even hang out with you if you are connected. To them, so what you have is a very small sect of people who are all think alike, act alike, behave alike, who have lost sight of the, the greater mission of helping people know and connect yeah. with God. So, okay, like, so, yeah, sorry, so yeah. I feel like that's that's yeah. good because yeah. it's kind of understanding that. Yeah, I like how you put it on Sunday and you just said it again. Um, but you've got the fact checkers and yeah. the posse, and they're there to kind of to inspect Jesus, yeah. right? They're they're maybe not there to receive while some could yeah. have been we, we're not really sure we don't know full numbers um it's, it appears as if they're there to kind of inspect and to try and catch jesus saying something um so then we get to the four friends who who bring their friend and i think what is it matthew that we can look at uh, or mark where we can kind of see this in the gospel and yeah, the gospel it, as well so this is uh, luke's a synoptic gospel yeah. meaning it covers all the same stuff so i mean chronological order yeah but matthew and mark both include this as well so we can see that there's these four friends that bring their friend to him they start taking apart the roof to lower him down so that their friend can get to jesus and i, I guess i want to focus on what jesus says to the man so um, says uh, every village in Galilee, this is verse seven, uh, 17, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way uh, to bring him in. The men of the crowd went up on the roof and let him down through, um, with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, men, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, you made it a point to kind of talk about that because, yeah. Thanks, Jesus, but that's not really what I'm here for. We're still like, only have four for the basketball team. Yes. Mm, yep. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm. It's speculation only, but I'm going. What do you think that 
And I think you talked a little bit about this on Sunday. So what do you think that the scribes, the Pharisees are thinking in that moment? What do you think the man is thinking in that moment and the four friends are thinking? Then as Jesus says, like, wow, your sins are forgiven. Like he, yeah, he so does. I mean, it is like a big, it's like, you know, if you watch a TV show through the end, 10, 12 episode seasons, like, I don't know, shows like Lost. I don't watch them. I don't waste my time on that junk, but, uh, but a few want to, right? And it doesn't have the ending that you want where it yeah. resolves that you want to. Like it just leaves you. Like yeah. it makes you hate the show. All yeah. of a sudden I committed all this time and I didn't get what I wanted, right? <laughs> like so it's really neat how people can all kind of build camaraderie together at hating a show that they all once loved because it didn't resolve in the way that they thought it resolved or didn't resolve at all, right? And so you kind of have this, like Jesus is all inclusive in this, that everybody in the room is really disappointed. Yeah. Or really angry. Probably a little bit of both, right? Because people wanted to see a supernatural healing. I mean, they just got to understand. Like, it's so, because we're so almost um, numb to these stories, especially if you grew up in church, because you've just heard them over and over yeah, again. And again, right. one of the things that religion does to you is you just become numb uh, to these things, almost indifferent to them. And we know the story, know how it's all go. But you got to put yourself in the shoes of these people, the ones sitting in, or the sandals of these people. And the ones sitting in the room are mesmerized like this and have like when this guy's getting lowered they have no idea because most scribes would not have been happy about that moment right like how dare you interrupt my teaching right yeah. and, you know like there is like as a, as a preacher there is a, a you know a linear line that i'm trying to get all the way through and the clock is ticking right and so it's like man i don't want to be interrupted let's get going let's get going kind of thing and so there are a lot of people going uh oh what's going to happen a lot of people have their their side eyes looking at the the owner of the home going, yeah. what's he thinking? Like, it just, man, that's going to be some work yeah. to fix that. It's right? going to be more than a weekend. Yeah, so yeah. it's got, got those things going on. So you got all these things. So there's a lot of tension. And what creates tension gets your attention. So everybody's kind of paying attention to this moment. And all of a sudden, it's like this big moment's going to happen. He sees them and they're going, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And he goes, your sins are forgiven. Right? What? You know, so yeah. no one, no one in the room is thrilled by that, including the paralyzed man. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's probably the one who's most relieved because in his head, he's going to believe that something about his behavior and his sins, there is a connection sin to body that we see in scriptures and now, right? That there are stuff that happens as a result of unrepentant sin, right? Mm -hmm. So he has already concluded, not that I'm saying that's the case for this guy, but already concluded that something about his behavior, his thought life has caused his current circumstances. So maybe he's a little bit more relieved to going, okay, good. Now I don't feel that, but he's still not moving, right? Yeah. And so everybody in the moment is a little bit uh, disappointed. And the other thing that I didn't get to point out, haven't ever got to point out is Jesus doesn't say to those four guys, I see your faith. Yeah. Right? So Luke is actually sharing something with us that's in Jesus' insight. So I don't know how Luke gets this. Yeah. You know, I don't, Matthew and Mark get it too, so I don't know. I don't know if the disciples later go, hey, what made you decide to do that? Yeah. Like, right. and because they're going to share it. So Matthew and Mark, you know, they're going to share these things. Matthew walked with Jesus. Uh, he's not there yet. We're going to see him this upcoming week, actually. Um, but so probably around the room and so probably ask the question. So we get some insight about this that the people don't even get there. Mm. So there he sees their faith, but it doesn't say that he says that he sees their faith. And now that word faith there um, could be even used as he sees their their persuasion that, or sees that they were persuaded. Okay. That's literally kind of the language that it, that's here. So the way it could be translated is he sees that they were persuaded. As a result yeah. of their persuasion, of them being persuaded, hmm. he responded. In other words, he saw that they somehow pivoted from Jesus is the bad guy. There's no hope in this world. There's no more miracles. I got to do the sacrifices. Only I can fix whatever those things are. They were persuaded in whatever moment to think this is the guy who can do all these things. And so he sees their faith. And then he responds, man, your son, your your sins are forgiven. So big buzzkill for all the people yeah. in the moment. And yet, what I think is really important is this is the most significant thing that can happen. Because remember, Jesus steps in our timeline to invite us into his. So you see in this moment that this person is made righteous before God. Yeah. Before he ever says anything, yeah. which gets a little bit yeah. confusing. And so I want to dive a little bit more yeah. into that because that, that does start to kind of mess with with the way that you perceive how salvation happens, mm -hmm. right? Because it's, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that that's how you come to know Christ. In fact, um, we do have a question that I yeah. wanted to ask 
today. So um, concerning kind of the study of salvation, yeah. um, at Luke 8, 48, um, before the healing, um, and this is just kind of we're, we're jumping around, but using scriptural yeah. kind of stories to kind of explain kind of the question. So it says, at Luke 8, 48, before being healed, the woman demonstrated faith by chasing Jesus down to touch his garment. This is the woman with the issue of blood, presses in through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It says, at 7, 48, and 50, before forgiven sins and salvation, the woman anointing Jesus demonstrated faith in 744. This is Mary. Yeah. This is anointing Jesus with mm-hmm. her, her tears, anointing oil. Um, and it says, but it's but it is specifically the paralytic's friend's faith that called out in 520 as being the basis for his healing. Also in Matthew 9 yeah. and Mark 2, yeah, yeah. 5. So comment further, please. So this is one of our listeners. Um, yeah. Just would really like you Great to dive question. a little bit more. Yeah, into it. so I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to answer this in uh, the way that will be too helpful. Because like I even shared on Sunday, I, you know, soteriology, which is the study of salvation. Right. We, we have a pretty good framework of how that happens. We acknowledge our sins, we confess them, and we believe, and God heals us and forgives us and saves us. Yeah. It calls upon the name of the Lord, meaning acknowledging that Jesus is the boss, yeah. right? Boss of all things, every part of you. He's the boss, and you're you're saved. And so we don't see any of this here. And by the way, this is the, the first salvation moment in this instance. We've seen the invitation, follow me, and lots of people have followed him, mm-hmm. and so we see salvation. But the first time that Jesus is a, 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 aware of in, in the Gospel of Luke, that he actually has acknowledged that he has the power to forgive sins. Yeah. So this is a, a really significant moment in the story of God and the story of salvation and seeing how he comes in our timeline to invite us into this. All that's really, really significant. And yet in our theology, we feel that there should be some onus or some kind of responsibility in the person to, yeah. to do that. And I would agree, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, your, your salvation is between you and God, not between your parents and God, right? Like this isn't like something that just happens through osmosis, right? Like there's something that has to happen in your own life to see this. And yet Luke and helping people have certainty about the things that have been taught doesn't feel that it's necessary to explain the salvation process. Instead seems to point to and help us understand the role that the four friends played. And I would just say, well, one of the things that, that happens, like, for example, we, we really, really struggle with um, the people who don't know Jesus, never heard about Jesus. When they die, they go to hell. Like, we just really, really struggle with that. And we can't quite get our minds around it. And so we can't really understand it. And I go, well, you don't have to get your mind around the whole thing to, to see the implications, which yeah. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. So is it our responsibility? Is it God's responsibility? I don't really know. But that's not what we should be focused on. We should be focused on is the obedience that yeah. God calls us to. So he tells us to take this message to all nations, regardless of how it plays out, that we somehow have to understand the things of God mm-hmm. for us to be obedient is really, really arrogant. And you don't do that in every other area of your life. You push the remote and let your TV come on. Yeah. You don't know exactly about infrared and why that happens. You just know you do this and that happens, right? right? You know that you, you don't know the inner workings of your iPhone. Yeah. Right, you don't know code like Java or HTML, and you're happy to use the internet. Yeah. So there's so many places where we already follow this, and our lives do these things, yeah. even though we don't understand it fully. And so, what I want us to be guarded from and challenged by is, it is arrogant for us to have to understand how God works to yeah. actually obey Him. So we know that John the Baptist declares the the onset of this Luke chapter 3 we see it he quotes Isaiah 600 700 years earlier that is also declaring this that there is a mandate that we prepare the way of the Lord we make straight paths for him we move every mountaintop we fill in every valley we make every crooked path straight so that all mankind can see God's salvation so regardless of what happens for people regardless of what they do we still have a job and it is to make it simple for people to connect to Jesus our job as Christians is to remove obstacles that are in, in the way of people seeing Jesus. So we see that so clearly here. So and we go, well, I don't really understand that. Why would God do this? I just go, no, no, there's something so significant and beautiful about this. This means, this, this means in the study of salvation that we can play an active, not passive role in our family's response 
to Jesus. This means these four guys, Jesus responded to their faith. They're them being persuaded that he is the Lord and the only one capable of this. This means that somehow with that conviction and that level of obedience, we can actually participate in the salvation of our friends. And you know this yeah. and are challenged by this. That means our, our praying really does matter. That means praying for your son or grandson or spouse, really do, your boss, does actually play a role. There may be a moment when God sees our persuasion, that we have been persuaded that he alone is God and he alone is capable. And he may see our faith and then begin forgiving the sins of our friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, all those things. So I don't understand it all. Yeah. I just don't. I don't understand exactly how this works. But I do understand that that there is some active role in this. And so what I tell us all the time is when our faith collides with God's faithfulness, when those two things intersect every single time, every single way, you might not see it, there is a miracle that happens. Something supernatural happens in that moment. And so our, our objective, our role is to continue to walk in faith and remove obstacles so that people can see Jesus. So regardless of how all the soteriology works, how salvation works, there is a role for us in this. Now, yeah. um, smart commentators and scholars would argue, especially with a no, this needs to be confessed with your mouth kind of thing, would argue that this isn't a passive role for the paralytic, yeah. right? Well... The, the friends play a very active role. The fact that this guy is willing to right. kind of be humiliated and dragged into a room in right, front of a right. bunch of people he doesn't know, and then humiliated enough to be able to to go up on a roof. I mean, this guy, unless he's strapped down, but even yeah. that, I don't know how you can make a grown man do anything yeah. in this. So the fact that he's on a mat and then being lowered <laughs> down, he could be screaming, "I'm so sorry, I don't want to do it." You know, like there's, <laughs> I didn't want to be yeah, here. I don't want to be here. Like there's so much that could happen. So there is an active role of faith yeah. for this guy in his willingness. Now, so this goes back to even like the leper. Hey, uh, if you're willing, I know yeah. you can make me clean. And so there was this, we maybe didn't know whether or not Jesus is willing, but what we see just by you know action is that he's yeah. at least willing to give it a, a chance. So it's a both and, not an either or in, the, in this story. But what I want us to focus on is we don't have to sit around just devastated that our spouse or our kids have walked away from the Lord. We can actually participate in praying for them and modeling a life filled with joy and hope and not in negative talk and speaking death, but speaking life and showing gratitude and thankfulness that there is something we can actually participate in yeah. that makes it simple for people to connect to Jesus. And so we see yeah. that. I feel like that's good advice yeah. to not, because I feel like I've got a hundred questions oh, about I it, do. And I don't but wanna, they're ones that can't be answered. Yeah, right? I don't like, want us to stick our head in the sand. Yeah. It's okay. Like, it's okay to use our minds. He gave it to us. But I do think there is a danger danger, yeah. and a level of arrogance that goes, unless I understand it all, I won't participate. Right. Because you don't say that to anywhere else, right. that right. you enjoy the benefits of technology or whatever else. There's so yeah. much we don't understand that we still participate in. Yeah. Like, you don't understand. I don't understand how exactly how an engine works or how the brakes work or but i'm certainly going to participate in the benefits of driving a car right so right. yeah i think that that's good so as we continue Thanks, then what happens 21 says and the scribes um so jesus says hey your sins are forgiven kind of everybody's going uh, uh okay <laughs> yeah. not quite what we're going for um but then the scribes and the pharisees begin to question saying who is uh who is this who speaks blasphemies who can forgive but god alone in verse 22 this is kind of the next thing. It says, then Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answered them, who do you, why do you question in your hearts? And then verse 23, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or uh, forgiven you or say rise and walk. And then verse 24, this is really what I'm driving at. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who's paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So this yeah. son of man yeah. is significant. Yeah, so there's all this stuff. So what I will tell you over and over again, this is why I like Jesus. He splits them up in pairs of two, sends them out. And then a couple different times throughout the scriptures and discipleship. Because I wholeheartedly believe what creates tension gets your attention. Yeah. What creates tension gets your attention, right? And so he's created some tension. Your, your sins are forgiven. They think he's blaspheming. So miracle yeah. one, he forgives sin. Miracle two, he perceives their thoughts. If he didn't have their attention with that forgiveness sins, he definitely had their attention with going into their mind. Go, go, Jesus mind. I was thinking about, I said that on something like, what am I doing? Like, I was thinking of Inspector Gadget. Go, yeah. go, Gadget on. I was tracking. Yeah, I was okay. tracking. 
So and I go, why do I do those things? And uh, I just get tired of saying Abraka Jesus. So I was like, okay, we'll go a different one. And Unless it's Old Testament, then you yeah. say Abraka, Abraka Yahweh. Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. You can say Abraka Yeshua. You know, oh, that one's good. I don't add that to the, the repertoire. The, yeah. Um, I don't know what that word means. But anyway, so uh, so what you see here, first thing gets attention, forgive sins. First, second thing gets your attention, yeah. see your thoughts. So now they are tracking with him. Yeah, they're going, right. okay. At the very least, they're, they're leaning like, in. Whoa. Yeah. He just read, like, oh, gosh, does he know the other things that I'm thinking about? <laughs> you know, like, so he's paying attention. And then he's going to set up the question, which is easier. Forgive sins. Make a man walk. Right. And then he's going to make him walk. But he's going to tell him who it is that's making him walk. And he's going to say something. And I promise you these scribes are very aware of this. Because one of the things that they were wrestling with, and, and Daniel, Daniel on 600, uh, ish 586 600 bc where in that area uh maybe not perfect time but in that area daniel is going to do some amazing things and uh end up in a terrible regime in babylon yeah. something that most of the people are going to do right they're just going to submit surrender bow they, daniel doesn't do those things and god continues to bless him but he's going to start having these dreams and visions and there's a couple different rounds of those yeah. there's kind of like some immediate ones he has on i think that's uh like chapters maybe three four through nine where he's going to have these visions and he's going to see these different kings and he's going to see an image of a son of man that's going to come and resolve those things. But they're very specific to Babylon in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And then he's going to have some other dreams in nine and then definitely some crazier ones at the end in chapter 12. And he's going to actually go and ask someone else to help interpret them. He's usually mm -hmm. the interpreter, but he's going to have to ask someone else to interpret them. And what, what we see in those dreams is that one day that there will be a man, a human, God himself, who becomes a human, who will come and who overcome all the things that humanity was un unable to do, right? So humans, in the beginning, I don't even supposed to partner with God. And then what happens is they mess it up and they go, we don't like this partnership. We want to be boss, right? And so they walk away. And so from that time, God continued to promise that there would be a reestablishment of the partnership and it would come through God himself in the form of humanity. So the mm -hmm. son of man, the scribes were fully aware of, was this God man yeah. who would come and set things right. So what they would have been spending a lot of time on in their little cute arguments is, okay, what does chapter 12 mean? Like, does it mean, okay, we can see that maybe it means that there's this terrible Jewish, uh, this Greek king called Antiochus. And you can look at this at 165 BC. They had been very familiar with the Maccabee revolt or my Catholic buddies like that those uh, apocryphal books are in, in the scriptures but Judas Maccabee and others this yeah. is you know the story of Hanukkah right you right, see all those right. things and so they would have been aware and thought that maybe maybe that was what the um, prophecies was about okay right? so okay Daniel had this prophecy 165 BC this happens but we thought we were going to be freed and now we are no longer we're in a new Right. regime of terror right. it's right. the roman empire and so they're going would well, god do something about this and so they would they'd be spending a lot of time trying to understand who's the son of man what's he going right. to do and what's that going to look like same way that right now we're trying to figure out end times prophecies they would have been thinking yeah. of those things and so and all of a sudden jesus goes so that the son of man they would have gone we know about the son of man yeah wait you're saying you're the son of man no this can't be the son of man this can't yeah. be the guy who does all those things you are meek and mild and ugly and you know like <laughs> all those things like this can't be the son of man and he goes so that you'll know that i'm the son of man then i am going to make this man stand up and walk so yeah. all of a sudden he stands up and walk and all i said we're going is this the guy yeah is this the the god man and that was even a thought that i yeah. i had so the end and i'm sorry that i'm jumping ahead no 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 in 26, an amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We've seen extraordinary things. Yeah, yeah. This was the Christ, like, these are the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the religious which, people, yeah. but who knew the book of Daniel. Yeah. Right? And so it's so nuanced about this, is they don't know that Daniel's prophecy probably also is talking about 70 AD and the yeah. fall of the temple, right? And they also don't know that Daniel's prophecy is pointing to when Jesus returns and makes all things right. And so this yeah. is the nuance of the scriptures. God's going to go, hey, Daniel, I'm going to give you this really crazy prophecy. And it could and does apply to what's going to happen in three, four hundred yeah. years. It's going to also apply to what happens in you know, six, seven hundred years. And it's yeah. going to apply to what happens when the Son of Man rules and reigns again. And so all of a sudden, these guys are going. Yeah. And their only natural response is to worship him because of the deep richness yeah. and the nuance of what they understood about the scriptures and what was going to happen in terms of God partnering again with humanity. Yeah. So it is this beauty. That's why I wanted to show the videos. I'm like, I don't have, it take me 20 minutes to cover this. Yeah. You know, so just this thing. The, video, so, the yeah. video was good. So yeah. if you, you need help understanding yeah. kind of this significance of son of man yeah. and Daniel, like, and how that's connected, 
if you watch that, yeah, go to about Man minute forty five or 40, yeah, yeah. or just Google Gospel Project Son of Man. Man. Okay, either way. Yep. So that was the thing, and so all of a yeah. sudden you see this like this played out. You're like, oh, you got to read the scriptures, man. Yeah. Understand scriptures? You keep showing up. We'll keep teaching you them because they are so deep and rich and clever. Yeah. And so you see this. And so when he says the son of man, there's something really significant happening there that's really easy for us to miss. Yeah. And that's why I want to go through Luke at this rate. And so we're going to continue to see, like next, this upcoming week, we're going to see Jesus eat with sinners. And we're going to think about all the different times that God had meals with his people. Yeah. Just this crazy thing that God actually created tabling meals for, <laughs> for real fellowship and um, joy and hope and confidence yeah. in Jesus. So, so in that, um, one of the questions that I had personally, yeah. so um, you just talked about how many times or you talk about specific times where God would give, here's a, um, a prophecy and it's fulfilled in this, but it's also fulfilled in yeah. this. And you might not even see that. I had heard it said, and so I'm just kind of curious your take, that the title Son of Man also refers back to it's what's referred to as covenant language. So it kind of talks about the blood covenant, there was 10 steps is kind of this binding agreement between two males. And one of those steps was like the exchanging of sons. Uh, have you heard, or like, I, I don't know if that was just this kind of teacher that I'd heard, um, but she had made an argument for that. I didn't know if you'd come across anything in that in your study or if you had any thoughts. Yeah, on I've that. heard some of that, maybe a little bit, but from what I can gather, every time we see Son of Man, what's really happening here is he's referring to Jesus' humanity, yeah, right? So maybe in covenant theology, you got creation, fall, redemption, restoration, consummation that. I mean, one of the things that we understand is that the Son of God is going to become in covenant theology that, you know, even with yeah. the, the covenant promise with Abraham, that he is going to send, or in, in Adam, send his offspring right. in the form of a human man. And so uh, you, you do have some weird stuff that kind of plays out in the scriptures where women and angels and fallen world it just creates this huge brokenness and don't get too distracted by that right now we'll get to it at some point i'm sure but but there is this yeah i could see where the son of man would be presenting that god is going to come in a blood right. line through right. through humanity so i could i could see it. i don't know enough about that to okay. really That's comment fine. on it more i think that the beauty is you're going to see two different words referring to the son of man and son of god both talking about jesus jesus favorite term is son of man meaning he came in as a man he came and landed as a human really really significant yeah. into the story of the whole thing and so i don't know who says it i have no idea maybe c.s lewis but the son of god became the son of men so that sons and i'll add daughters here sons and daughters of men can become sons and daughters of god yeah. so the son of god becomes becomes the son of man so that sons and daughters of men could become sons and daughters of god and so that is the that is the the progression that happens in terms of the partnership that we get made right before God get to participate in this kingdom. And that's the part I want you to see that all of a sudden this man is made whole. We see two different weeks in a row where a leper is made whole and then now a paralyzed man is made whole. And I promise yeah. you when that happens, what they do for the kingdom is so significant because their response and gratitude for what was going on, what they thought their life was going to be versus what happens because mm. completely transformed. And one of the things I want to challenge for those of us who are church folks who don't have that broken, messy testimony is we were also dead in our sin yeah. and trespasses. And so that transformation of uh, should change us in the way that mm. D David says it, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Then I'll teach transgressors your way. There is a pran uh, uh, a, a, a progression there and so kind of last thing i would kind of say is hey i think it's really important that we have to get the joy back in our salvation mm. do you understand what you were and yeah. do you understand what you are and do you understand who did that and what that means for now and for all eternity and if there is no joy in your salvation then there's no way you can actually participate in teaching transgressors their ways mm. removing obstacles because what you're going to have then is a legalistic approach to just tell people to follow the rules and not surrender and worship and receive Jesus. So I think that's an important part that we have to learn in this is that when we really come face to face with who Jesus is and what he does for us, both for the here and now and for eternity, there should be joy that yeah. comes out of us as the result, right? Yeah. The, what we're going to see is that God continues to tell people then, hey, don't tell anyone. They go and tell everyone. He tells us to go tell everyone and we don't tell anyone. And I am convinced it's because we have lost the joy of our salvation. And so may that be what you pray for. And the gift that God could give you this Christmas season mm -hmm. was you would you restore to us 
the joy of our salvation. Okay. So then that was your final thoughts, correct? Any Anything else that you wanted to add there? Or? Nope, that's it. Uh, that's it. I appreciate you bringing up 26 because I didn't get to really spend any time on one because yeah. the clock was ticking. They all responded in amazement. That's all. That's yeah. all the religious people. All of them were made right in that moment before God. And that, that's pretty and, significant. And I think that I just look at the Pharisees and the scribes as the enemies. Like, so in, in, yeah. I feel like I've skipped that and they all. Yeah. So that, in, that was the enemies of, of God, right? Like yeah. that was everyone. Well, they didn't even know they were the enemies, right? Yeah, they right. thought they were the friends of God, right. but they were actually enemies of God. Right. And that's where joy comes from our salvation is you yeah. are an enemy of God. There is only two places you can be. You're either for God or yeah. against God. There is no middle ground. And all of us were unfaithful and enemies of God before we became friends of God. Yeah. And there's a moment that changes. And so when, if we don't see the significance of that, there's no joy in our salvation. Yeah. And so we got to ask the Lord to give us real joy in our salvation yeah. so that we can uh, respond uh, and glorify God and yeah. be filled with all. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. We really hope uh, that you were challenged and encouraged as we kind of work through part two of the message, if you will. Um, it, as always, if you have questions, you have comments, please feel free to contact us over time at clcfamily.church or 610-869-2140. You can call or text us. Let us know if you have any questions. We would love to be able to see you this Thursday, December 3rd for our information about our December 5th event, which is our Merry Little Christmas Party. So please stay tuned for that. And again, really hope that you're challenged and encouraged by this. Thank you for joining us. And, and we, we hope, hope we see you all weekend. Yeah, hope yeah. to see you next week.